0: Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds On Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D O C T O R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. I have been studying relationships for over 20 years as a couples therapist, a professor, an award-winning author, and as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Now, I'm inviting you into this space each week as I dig into some of the toughest and most fascinating relational dilemmas of our time. If you want to discover how to create vibrant and loving relationships in your own life, you have come to the right place. This is... Reimagining Love. Today, I have my first ever returning guest on Reimagining Love, Vienna Ferran, who is a talented clinician and a dear friend of mine. We are speaking today about her new book, which is called The Origins of You, How Breaking Family Patterns Can Liberate the Way We Live and Love. I mean, just in that title, you already know that I had to have her on to talk about this book on the show and to have her help us understand what her mission was in writing this book. Reading The Origins of You is really like going on a deep therapeutic journey with Vienna, as she helps readers explore their family of origin and how it shaped their present-day patterns in relationships. Of course, this exploration is all in the service of relationships and inner healing. And I love the way that Vienna empowers readers to practice discernment and choice as they forge new paths for themselves and break free from the patterns that may be holding them back from deep and fulfilling connections with others. Vienna and I also answer a really rich listener question that comes all the way from Amsterdam. So make sure that you listen to the end to hear us explore that together. I hope that you love our conversation. Here's Vienna. Vienna, Allie. you are <laughs> you are my first ever returning guest on Reimagining Love.
1: <gasps> wow. What an honor. Thanks for having me back.
0: Well, it speaks to the strength of our connection, and it speaks to my deep admiration of you and the work that you
1: do. Always right back at you. (laughs) Always.
0: (laughs) So we're here today to celebrate the birth of your very first, well, not your first baby, but your first book baby. And it is glorious, and I cannot wait to get all up in the weeds on your new book, The Origins of You, which is just fantastic.
1: Yeah. The first literary baby. What a ride. I mean, you know it. It's like I've laughed and cried and all the things in between. There were times during the process where it was like, is there a way to give the advance back and make this all go away? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you are like negotiating and bargaining from every corner from do I know what the heck I'm talking about at all to yes, I do. And it's a ride. It's a ride. But I'm so grateful to be where I am in the ride right now i so glad that I stuck with it. Well,
0: I'm so glad that you stuck with it. And every single reader who gets their hands in this book, is going to be so glad that you stuck with it because
1: it's it's just wonderful, Vienna. It is a wonderful, wonderful book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would think that a book like this would sort of be out in the masses. And I think we have a lot of clinical books that speak to family system stuff. But this take on really exploring our family of origin, I am so grateful to be able to bring it to the lay person and, you know, to begin to explore this in a very helpful, hopefully forward movement way.
0: Absolutely. Okay. But before we get too deeply into the origins of you, I know that if I don't ask you the growing edge question, I'm going to be getting emails and DMS of people (laughs) saying, why didn't you ask Vienna the growing edge question? So can we, (laughs) let's just back up for a moment. up, I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about a growing edge that you are currently working on in one of your important relationships. And what has it been teaching you these days?
1: This is an ever- growing, evolving, and giving, growing edge, which is the practice of putting down the pattern. And what I mean by that is I recently posted something that apparently was very controversial. (laughs) And I was talking about how sometimes choosing not to be direct is not an act of passivity, but rather an act of safety, right? Rather an act of peace, rather a choosing of calm, rather a choosing of healing. And that sparked a lot of conversation, uh, as you can imagine, but I stand by it. I think one of the great growth edges for me, and like I said before, the, the kind of the gift that keeps on giving is Remembering what it is that I know to be true about certain dynamics, about certain people in my life, people I care about, people I love, people I'm not interested in cutting off a relationship from, and just knowing and not being surprised by where the cycle might go. You know, I have many decades of evidence, right? And I think many of us have many decades of evidence of something and an earlier version of myself could very easily get stuck in the fantasizing or the hoping or the wishing that if I just said it this way, or if I just explained it that way, et cetera, et cetera, that maybe I could finally get this person to see, hear, understand, accept my perspective, my experience. And so, yeah, putting down the pattern, right, is like there is a choice in choosing to engage or not engage. And part of my growth My growing edge has been recognizing the dynamics where it's okay to place it down. You know, I still might notice that I have sensations in my body, but I'm not going to enter into the dance with this person because I know where it goes. And so instead, I come back to myself. I might go to my partner who can hear it, I might go to a friend who can hear it instead. So it's not about never being witnessed never being seen, but it's about putting down the pattern with the person, with the people where I do know where it's going to go, which is leaving me raw, leaving me unseen, feeling a bit fragile. Yeah, that's my growing edge right now.
0: I love it. And I love that putting down the pattern does not equal self-abandonment. It is saying if there's a pattern, the pattern is When this person does X, I move into Y and I expect Z to be the result, and Z is never the result. So, therefore, I don't have to do Y. I don't have to bring it up. I don't have to expect it to go differently. I can instead, as you said, come back to myself, turn to a partner. It's not about ignoring what's happening inside of you, it's not about tolerating or self abandoning. It is about just conserving energy, choosing peace, making peace. I love that. So putting down the pattern.
1: And there's something about it that actually helps preserve that relationship too. Like I said, I think there's certain people in our lives where we may choose to cut off from a relationship and a relationship. You and I have plenty of conversations with folks where the dynamic may have dysfunction to it, might have some unhealthy patterns to it. Yet we hear people say, I'm not going to not have this person in my life. They're my mom, they're my father, they're my sister, they're my sibling, you know, whatever it is. And I'm not in that position. That's not what I want. And so I think it's in those dynamics sometimes where we do have to figure out how to dance differently, I guess.
0: Yeah, which doesn't mean that you don't grieve. There's still grief, there's still bodily sensations, and there is intentionally choosing something higher, something different. But then you're feeling like you're choosing it. You're not just being dragged along for the ride, you are choosing to remain engaged. And there's something very powerful about that. So often when it is an elder, because we know that experience of not being able to choose something different, not being able to escape or make it different or do something different with ourselves, Just even that act of reminding ourselves, actually, I'm choosing to remain engaged. I'm choosing to keep this person in my life, even though I don't love these moments, even though I have to, you know, shift my expectations. Even just that reminder to yourself that you are choosing this is so different than whatever we experienced and endured when we were little.
1: Yeah. That's right. There is a lot of grief there though. You're right to point that out. Yeah. It's like every time we come into contact with the thing. You know, whether that's the cycle, the loop, a particular moment that, you know, has meaning attached to it, right? It's like, yeah, grief presents itself and needs to be felt.
0: I'll tell you what, though, as somebody who is further along in my own parenting journey than you are, there's something quite different about me engaging with my family of origin now with kids who notice and comment on and ask questions about why I show up the way that I
1: do in dynamics. Oh, I could only imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: It's a whole, it's a whole different ballgame. It's fascinating, right? Because it's one thing for me to know that there are things I tolerate, you know, in particular relationships that I don't tolerate elsewhere. And then when I've got kids who are like, what, mom, what's, can
1: you help me understand that? Why didn't you speak up for yourself? Right. <laughs> <laughs> this thing that you would normally express to everyone else, you didn't express it to your uh-huh, mother. <laughs> like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, let me tell you about okay. it. <gasps> Moving along. <laughs> Moving along. That's right.
0: Let's start to shift gears and talk about the origins of you. How breaking family patterns can liberate the way we live and love.
1: That subtitle, my goodness. You, it's like, I know you
0: worked on that.
1: Oof. I know you worked on that. It's, just, it's
0: a, perfect. It's perfect. How breaking family patterns can liberate the way we live and love. It's just so positive.
1: Yeah. And it's so right. It's like, this is what we must do, right? It's like, gosh, those family patterns they come along with generation after generation after generation, as we know that very, I think, pretty famous Terry Real quote about how it rolls through family systems, family generations until someone, you know, stands up to the fire and does something a bit different.
0: And there's nothing in the title and there's nothing throughout the book that is parent blaming. That is not the place that you live. It's not the place that I live. It's not a place that's helpful to live. So you had to, in this book, Walk that line where you are both holding elders accountable for the dynamics that happen in the homes as we raise children, while also holding elders, holding parents as imperfect and traumatized themselves and very likely doing the best that they can do at the time that they're doing it. But tell us a bit about how you walk that line in the book and how you want your readers to walk that line between accountability and grace, both for themselves as well as for the parents that they are, parents and siblings, that they are looking at, thinking about, considering in this book.
1: I'm really glad that you're pointing that out and asking that question. And I think those two words that you used, accountability and grace, really is the line. I do not want this book to be a parent-blaming book at all. We do understand that we are human beings. And I, I point out pretty early on in the book, right, that like, Every single person has context, right? Your your parents have a rich history, unique circumstances. So do your grandparents, et cetera, et cetera. I know you are dear friends with Mona Fishbane, and I don't know if it was Mona or I think she's attributed it to Michael Kerr, but this concept of see your mother as your grandmother's daughter and see what shifts in that perspective. And I think that that perspective is such a valuable one, right? That like these humans are parents. They were tiny beings once before too, <laughs> right? That, that And they were going through all the same stuff or some of the different stuff that you and I were also going through as little tiny humans in this world. And and coming back to that is important because, right, that's where the grace is. But, right, it's not an excuse. Uh-uh. Abuse isn't an excuse, right? All, all of the experiences that we have, we don't need to make excuses for them. In fact, we can't, right? Because when we make excuses for them, or we rationalize it too much, or we intellectualize it away, or we minimize it, then we rob ourselves of the opportunity of, you know, naming our pain, right? Of, of being with it, of holding it, of touching it and being able to work with it. It's a tough one, but I think I try to bring the context of another person's story into focus while still having us name our pain, name our story and not get also lost in wound comparison, what I call it, where sometimes we move away from naming our own pain because our friends have a much, quote unquote, worse story than we do. Or we know somebody else whose trauma seems far more complex than anything that we've ever gone through. And so we feel insecure or ashamed of being able to voice what it is that we went through and acknowledge what our own story is.
0: Well, and in fact, Even just that process of holding on to accountability and grace, that process of like learning how to create that capacity inside of ourselves to do that, that's an essential skill for every single adult relationship we have, right? To love a partner, to parent our own kids, to be in deep friendship, that ability to hold on to the tension of I'm wounded and I have the capacity to hurt. You've been wounded and you are now hurting me, like that ability to hold on to Both of those elements is essential when we are when we're doing that kind of rear view mirror of understanding the origins of us. But in doing it about what was, it helps us be able to do it right here, right now with this conflict, with this partner right here today.
1: Correct. Yeah. I, I mean, I would imagine I'll take a stab here that you would probably include that in your relational self-awareness, you know, definition of that, or at least like a tool of why this is so important and valuable in order to be relationally self-aware as adults now operating in this world, whether it's with partnership, with our own children, with friendship, coworkers, workers et etc. Right. Such a huge, 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 really important skill set to to keep close.
0: The book is really a deep therapeutic journey that the reader gets to take with you. You are holding their hand and and helping them really gently and in a granular way look at family systems dynamics and so in that way it is like retrospective. You're helping people understand their past, but you do a beautiful job of like bringing it into the present and then talking about where we go from here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what I would say that the main premise of the book is is that our patterns that play out in our adult relationships, the ones that we want to shift and change because they are unhealthy for us, they're dysfunctional, et cetera, right? Like that those are the things that point to what is unresolved from our origin stories, from our past right it's you know i don't have us journey backwards to hang out in the past right and a lot of times people are like i don't want to go back there cuz that's not what i'm coming in with and i don't want to focus on that you know like i want to deal with what's happening present day right now, because this is what's necessary for me. And so I want to say that, like, we must go back first, not to spend tons and tons and tons of time there, but to understand the origins of our wounds, of our pain, of our trauma, so that we can understand how it continues to lead our lives and our adult relationships.
0: Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you. Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating hosted by Julie Kraftchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. The heart of the book that we're going to move into in a moment is talking about these wounds. You really want the reader to understand the wound as something that comes from the past that shapes the present. So that's, that's what we're going to move into in a moment. But you start by telling us the story of your wound. You write that when you were just five years old, there was a rupture in your family that left you with a wound that would dictate the course of your relationships for years to come. And that for a long time, you refused to acknowledge the effect that your past had on everything in your life.
1: So fun fact, which I don't know if everybody knows who's listening, that you and I know each other from way before because Dr. Ali, you were my professor at Northwestern. That's just fun to share. But why I bring it up is because even in graduate school, right? Mind you, like it was my early 20s, but already had gotten a a psychology degree, was starting to specialize in marriage and family therapy. (laughs) And even then, I swore up and down and sideways that my parents' divorce had zero effect on me. Did you know that? Even in the beginning of grad school, I was like, they're best friends now. There's no like... everything is good. Everything is fine, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so it was like, it was even up until that point where I was so committed to being like, it's, it's all good. Like it's fine. We're good now. They're really close friends. They used to come to every single one of my collegiate lacrosse games together. They would come to my recitals. We have family holiday gatherings together, right? Like we are fine. fine. We are uh-huh. good. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and so I just get such a kick out of this. And I think part of why I can speak to this is like, I was you,
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? that's like right. that's anybody right. who's that's like,
1: right. it's okay. Like, no, my family's fine. Or I have a perfect childhood or done it. It's like, you know, I was there for decades, right? I was there for such a long time. And even as someone who was specializing in this work, I was still clinging to that story for so, so long.
0: But by the time you were given your diploma, you had taken apart the story, right? Like we did not give you a diploma with you thinking that's still no good.
1: No, No, Northwestern would never do that. Northwestern is a phenomenal institution. (laughs) <laughs> you broke TFI off. That's right. such a good that's program right. oh my god yeah yeah but isn't i mean that's it right is like i needed to uphold that story because if i didn't it would mean that i would need to feel It would mean that I would need to grieve. It would mean that I would need to have been an affected individual. It would mean that I was not always just fine. You know, a tagline of mine for so long. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm unaffected by things. This held up my like cool girl persona. This held up the, I don't need anything from anyone. That's what I thought made me lovable and choosable and easygoing Obviously, there's, you know, many more details to it and and many more layers to it. But my parents went through a nine-year divorce process starting when I was in first grade. And, you know, I saw a lot of conflict. I saw a lot of chaos. There was a tremendous amount of manipulation, gaslighting, paranoia, emotional flooding, just so much. Police were involved constantly. Like it was just a really chaotic home environment for me to be a part of. And even though I know for certain they tried really hard to shield me from a lot, I saw it. I felt it. I experienced it. I observed it. I was there. And as an only child in this system, right, I didn't have other people to talk about it with. I didn't have, you know, neither of my parents remarried at any point. So there were no other adults who I could Like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? You know, like, there just wasn't a sounding board there. What I perceived was my family was crashing and burning around me, right? The two people who were meant to guide and lead and protect and be sort of like the safeguard of things were crashing and burning. And from that, my decision was to not add any more fuel really to that fire. And so, What I chose was to, quote unquote, be fine, be okay, be unaffected by things, just handle everything, not need anything from anyone. This needless little girl turned into a needless woman, of course, right, who had zero boundaries. You would call them porous boundaries, um, which was certainly the case. And, you know, I just existed in a world in relationships where I pretended and I hid constantly and there are you know, multiple moments in my life where I can see, oh my gosh, my role from my childhood that I had taken on is something that I'm still maintaining today. But I am you, you know, like to the listener, right? It's right. like, this this is it is that when there is something that is unresolved from our past, it finds a way to come with us, right? It wants to be resolved, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. that's the beauty of our pain,
0: right? It's the wisdom of it. It's the it's the intelligence of the pain. It's the intelligence of the pain. Yeah. It
1: is. It is the intelligence of the pain. And you have a quote along the lines of how closely our gifts and our wounds are. Yeah, they're next door neighbors. Yeah. You say next door neighbors. (laughs) I know I I say it slightly differently, but Mm -hmm. I, I, that I love that, right. Our, our pain and our wounds are next door neighbors. And I, some of the folks that I've worked with, I think sometimes express the concern that if we tamper with the story, they lose the gift. Yeah. You know, that like, so Vienna, I Am a phenomenal listener. I don't miss a beat. I the details I track very closely. That is an incredible gift of mine. That gift birthed out of watching manipulation and gaslighting happen constantly where I needed to track what was true for myself. Yeah. Right. So wow, I am a skilled therapist for a number of reasons, but one of them is like, ooh, details, I've got it, I see what's happening, I'm watching everything constantly, et cetera, et cetera, that birthed from pain, but ooh, it's a beautiful gift that I get to keep. Just because I resolve my pain from my past, right, or do that work of, you know, constantly being in resolution of it doesn't mean that I lose my gift, right? doesn't mean that that goes away, and I think that piece is a really important piece for people to hear. Sometimes the story, the narrative is, well, I wouldn't be who I am without it. That's a way that we sort of rationalize it. And again, move away from doing some of this healing work that I talk about in the book. And, you know, I think this is a place where we have to hold sort of the both end of certainly right, our story creates certain things Or we create certain things from our story and our story can still be a very painful, uh, damaging, harmful uh, experience that we need to tend to.
0: Well, Vienna, the, the listening example is such a powerful one. It's a really, con- you know, just by talking us through the role of listening and how that's informed by your wounds, but it still is your gift. And also that as you healed, you did not lose your ability to listen and track really closely. I just imagine you do it now more from a place of love rather than from a place of fear, right? You listen, you listen with love now versus when you were little, little Vienna had to listen from a fear-based, hyper-vigilant kind of place, in order to, so that she could understand what was real around her, and now you get to right like that little Vienna gets to kind of sit alongside you and just kind of observe, but you get to keep the gift of listening and from a place of like deep love of your clients, of your partner, of your you know people in your life. Yeah. Okay. So now we understand and you do a beautiful job of also setting up that, that there is a wound. Here's how you can get a felt sense that there is a wound. And then you spend the, the sort of middle of the book spelling out five different specific types of wounds. And I would love for us to just spend, I mean, I would love for us to spend about an hour on each of these, but we're not going to be able to do that, but you do have a quiz. That is going to, I'm going to put in the show notes so that people can go and take the quiz, but there's the five wounds. I'm going to list them out and then let's kind of tick them off one by one. So it's the, I want to feel worthy. I want to belong. I want to be prioritized. I want to trust and I want to feel safe. So those are the five wounds that you have identified that come from our origin story and come into our life today. So can you start by telling us a little bit about the first one, about the worthiness
1: wound? What I want to say first is that there can be an event that takes place that is similar for many of us. How it gets internalized might be different. So I just want to name that up front that, so for example, if There is an abandonment a parent leaves very early on in someone's life. That abandonment may be internalized as a worthiness wound. It could be internalized as a trust wound. It could be internalized as a prioritization wound, right? So so I just want to name that like, we don't fit into boxes. This isn't black and white. This is our work to connect with our story and see and understand what story we tell ourselves about the pain that we've experienced. So yeah, so the worthiness wound. Allie, this wound, there was a point when I was writing and I was like, I think, we all have it yes (laughs) I was like I, I actually say it somewhere in the chapter where I'm like I'm fairly convinced actually at this point in my writing in my conversations in my research that like we probably all have some connection to this worthiness wound right and so sort of simply put right like am I good enough am I worthy am I valuable And when we are talking about the origins of ourselves, we are talking generally about the family system. So sometimes that's parents, sometimes that's step-parents, that might be grandparents for some of us, but the systems in which we grew up. And so this becomes our first framework around communication, love, conflict, et cetera, right? So I just want to go back to the basics for a second. So it's often in these systems where we either feel a sense of worthiness, or we don't, right? We either feel this, like we start to have the experiences of I get to just be as I am, and I am good enough as I am. Or we start to learn that if you're a little bit more this, or a little less that, or if you bring home perfect grades, or if you're a phenomenal athlete, like only when you are succeeding, only when you are performing, only when you are pleasing, Only when you are presenting as quote unquote perfect, right? Like that is when you get to have connection, love, praise, et cetera, right? And so I think all of us have this experience. And so even if it doesn't birth necessarily right in the family system, right? Like we start to learn a lot about our worth societally, right? Based on media, right? So it like, it starts to evolve outside of that. It begins in the family system and then there's lots of layers that contribute to it. So the belonging wound, right? Like a sense of being a part of something, right? Do I belong to this family? Do I fit in here, right? A lot of folks will talk about never feeling really understood or being really different from, from their family system. Um, again, a little bit bigger cultural scale. How do I fit in societally? Do I always feel like an outsider? Am I an outsider in my family? Or am I an outsider in my school? Am I an outsider in my environment? And then prioritization. Tell us about the
0: prioritization wound.
1: Yeah, prioritization, right? Like really simple and probably fairly straightforward, but the idea that I feel like a priority in my family system, that I am a very important piece in the people's lives I love and care about. Now, that doesn't mean that we never have nuance to this. It doesn't mean that mom isn't allowed to ever work on a work project that needs to get done. Right. This is a feeling that just sort of spans, you know, the the years, right? Of like, knowing that I am a priority, that you want to be with me, that you want to spend time with me, that you enjoy being around me, that you enjoy spending time with me, right? That other things are not consistently more important than I am. Yep. Right? Yep. Yep. Yes. You know, with a prioritization wound, and this, this is true for all of them, where when we started, we said there's context, right? Part of this is the grace of understanding that our parents or the adults in our lives have complex stories. They too have probably a lot of things that are unresolved in their lives that maybe made it hard for them to prioritize you or maybe made it hard for them to not put their judgment down or resolve their judgment and accept you and have you be a part of the family even though you do things differently than the family quote-unquote does or you present differently than the family quote-unquote does right so we understand right that there is a story there but it doesn't change the impact of Okay, you never resolved your you know your addiction, but that doesn't change that I never felt like a priority when you drank. And that is something that lasts with me. And now I find myself in partnerships where it doesn't need to be apples to apples, I always say, like sometimes it's apples to oranges. You might never choose someone who drinks, but you might choose someone who prioritizes work over the relationship or, you know, their, I don't know, hobby over the relationship, for example.
0: But that's the point, right? The point of identifying where on this matrix of these five wounds you live is it gives you then a language to bring into your current relationship. And it's not then that you put your prioritization wound at your partner's feet and you say, because I wasn't a priority, you have to make me your sun and your moon and your stars. It's not It's not in the service of that either. It's in the service of understanding why behavior A that your partner does doesn't even blip on your radar. You're like totally fine. But when they do behavior B, you feel triggered and activated. hijacked to the moon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. So it's exactly. so it's that it's a translational. These are you're giving us translational tools to understand why do I see my relationship? Why do I choose the way that I choose? And this is a framework for, for that.
1: Because where we are generally most activated in our adult lives is going to point to something that's very familiar to us. It's going to point to one or many of these wounds that it is rubbing up against. And because we don't have as much resolution, and when I say resolution, I mean working through some of this origin healing practice or other modalities that help us come to a much greater sense of peace and calm and stability with, with the story, with the experience.
0: Okay, take us through the last two. So the second to last one is trust. I want to trust. So tell us about the trust wound.
1: Right. So maybe we grew up in a family system where we either (sighs) experienced or observed betrayal, deceit, lying right um and again this can take shape and form in many ways maybe you saw infidelity play out maybe you saw someone lie maybe you were asked to hold a secret from one of your parents maybe you didn't find something out until you know you were 25 years old that had happened 25 years earlier right like there's a lot that that can affect the way in which we relate to trust. And so looking at the origin stories around this trust wound where, you know, it just puts our ability to trust others into question, to trust people who are close to us into question has a lot to do with the trust wound.
0: Yep, absolutely. And then the last one is I want to feel safe. So the safety wound.
1: Yeah, this was a tricky one to write because when it comes to safety, obviously, we have to talk about abuse. You can't leave that one out, you know, and and so it's in this space where I'm talking about physical, emotional, sexual, psychological abuse. And most of this is actually sort of like the feeling of safety, right? Am I safe here with you? Am I protected? Do I not need to have the hypervigilance out as we were talking about before? Can I just rest in this environment and know that the adults around me are are safeguarding me? And a lot of times it is at the hands of the adults that we do not feel safe, where we have to grow up very quickly. And we try to, you know, create our own safety for ourselves through a number of different survival tactics and mechanisms. And again, when we are left unresolved in this space, you know, how can we actually feel safe in our present day lives and our relationships? And so, yeah, we take a peek into a very delicate subject for sure but I give a lot of examples. I use client stories in all of these Mm -hmm. wounds. Mm -hmm. What I think is important to say now is that You might be listening and you might be like, I have all five, certainly. (laughs) Others might be like, you know, "Ah, the only one that really resonates is worthiness, for example. Um, This book was written for you to read it, of course, as an adult child to someone who is, you know, exploring your own origin stories, maybe for the first time, maybe for the umpteenth time. What I can tell you is that as many times as we begin to explore, we will find something more that is really important for us if we're ready to come into contact with it. But I also wrote this book for you to read it, you know, the second, third time over as you consider your partner's origin story or you consider your friend's origin story or you consider your parent's origin story. And so I say that because I think, you know, some people are like, well, I don't struggle with belonging. Yeah, but your partner might or someone you love might. And there's so much value going back to the relational self-awareness, right? Like there is so much value in understanding how, you know, origin wounds can manifest, how they can show up in our adult lives. And even if it's not something that necessarily feels like it's your particular wound, I bet you that someone you love does resonate with that. And that feels so important to say, because this is how our wounds start to play with each other. That's right. right. Like, that's that's it. It's like we Mm -hmm. get into these cycles in our intimate relationships where our wounds start to just press that little button that activates (laughs) all the things and gets us going, not because it's fun, but because it becomes an opportunity over and over for us to begin to do that resolution work around our pain.
0: That's right. It's going to happen because of the intelligence of the wound, right? The wound is looking for any, even if you feel safe more often than not in your relationship, it is the times where you don't feel safe that the wound is going to be activated and vigilant and playing out. So that can feel confusing to a partner of like, but I don't, I have never once laid a hand on you. I'm not like your father. I'm not like your mother. And right. And that's the "and," which is that this wound must be healed. And so this wound is looking for evidence. And that's the way in which the intimate partnership becomes an opportunity then
1: for resolution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I I, I think this has been passed around in the ethos for a very long time. But the idea that if it's relationships, that wound, then it requires relationships to be part of the healing, right? Like there's only so far that we can take ourselves individually. We can theorize things. We can say, okay, in the event that X happens, here's how I'd like to respond based on the healing work that I've done. <laughs> right. But it's only yeah. in the yeah. actual yeah. Yeah. dynamic, right? It's like, yeah, that sounds nice, right? But it's only in the practice of relationships, right? Where we can actually put that healing truly to work, right? And so, yeah, we've got two relational folks over here who are all about
0: <laughs> all about that. But that point you just made is why you do this throughout the book. I do this a lot. It's like also really inviting people to notice when they do it differently, even if it's one half of one degree differently, to notice, to catch themselves doing it differently, to catch their partner doing it differently, and then to celebrate the ever living shit out of that moment, like jazz hands, like whoop it up because to do it, to do it differently, even a little baby bit differently, like that is worthy of celebrating right it doesn't it's not it's not grand it's not 100% of the time but when you notice it you got to catch it and highlight it and just savor the oh, heck out of it
1: it is huge really quickly like there's a moment in the book where i talk about like the moment when i actually say i'm not fine right. <laughs> the moment i actually oh, say hey i'm affected right. by right. what's happening and it's funny because i'm like to the outsider, right? Saying I'm not fine probably feels like a little boring. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. we're celebrating like, what now? not super, <laughs> we're not super excited. And for me, it was one of the most profound moments in my life. It was the moment for anybody who cross country skis, right? It was the moment I hopped off. The tracks and moved over to the deep snow and created my new set of tracks. Aww. Right. It was like that moment of, oh shit, I can do this. I did it. And now my husband, Connor, he's like, you have no problem now telling me that you're not. Flying. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It opened up the plug. Yeah. Nature. We're not going back. And he, he says that jokingly and lovingly. Of course. Um, but it's that like many, 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 many shift that happens that is so deeply, deeply profound. And at least with my experience, like all I needed was to do it differently once for my whole system to be like, oh, it can be different. Like, you know, and it doesn't mean that we never slide back into old ways of doing and being and existing. But for me, it was just such a, oh my gosh, I know how to do it. I survived it. I'm still here. Like, you know, the world didn't come crashing in and okay, I'm going to do it again. And again, even if my palms sweat and my heart is beating out of my chest and, 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 right? So the pivot is available. The
0: pivot is available. Okay. I really want to tackle this listener question yeah, with let's you. Do it. So, our listener question comes from a listener in Amsterdam who uses she/her pronouns and she writes, "When my boyfriend and I started dating, he was cheating on his ex. As I hear from him, the relationship had long been damaged. One year ago, I read text messages that he exchanged with a client of his, which were flirty, sexual and inappropriate considering our agreements. We had a big crisis. I experienced depression and only now I'm feeling more stability." Despite the fact we stayed together, I feel that we have not had good conversations about what happened because we lack the tools. Most times we tried. We ended up in big fights. I moved on, not getting the apology I needed, but the apology my partner was able to formulate. I stayed because I could not bear the pain of separation and not because I feel I can trust him again. I have an anxious attachment style, which can be explained by my upbringing in a home where my father passed away when we were little. I feel shame. Now we're at the point of discussing buying a house together and I cannot move forward until I feel this chapter is properly examined and not thrown under the rug. I don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to start?
1: Oh, gosh. Okay. I love these. I love that we get to jam on these together. Okay. So trust is ruptured. Okay. So we're going to hold that over here, right? Trust is ruptured. Um, Another thing that stands out to me is that there was a loss really early on in her life with the passing of her father. And as we know, and I think you, you name this when you work through some of these is like, we only have what has been given to us. We have to make some assumptions here. We're taking some guesses. We could be off. We could be wrong, but we're going to just like go with what we have. So Where my brain goes is she said that there really hasn't been resolution here with the partner. And part of that is like, I think she said, I want to risk something there's a significant loss in, you know, of course, losing a parent early on. And so sometimes, right, that might look like us clinging to people not being able to share how we really feel, not being able to set certain boundaries, because the risk of a relationship ending, if we speak up for ourselves, if we say we didn't like something, etc, is too much, right? And so sometimes we trade that in order to maintain the relationship. But what she's saying here is that she actually feels really unresolved about what is currently happening, right? I I don't feel like I can buy a house with this person until there is more and she's, you know, had to live a life without him. She's maybe afraid of other people leaving. And so the people who she sees as close and important to her in her life, she wants to hold close to. As I said before, the events that happen in our lives get internalized in different ways based on these wounds, right? So maybe her father passing and, and, and him sort of exiting her life may, again, it doesn't have to be a rational thing, but it could be connected to a lack of trusting people. It's possible. Right. We want to explore. And so, what I would do is, I would start to explore what if there was an origin wound from the passing. I'd explore how, if she had another parent present, how that parent was able to talk about that loss, was able to be connected to the grief, whether or not there was an environment to feel and to hear everybody else's feelings. And I'd really want to understand her, you know family story pre during and post again we don't know how he passed whether this was a quick passing whether this was a drawn out passing whether the passing was something that was really scary for her as as a little child right maybe daddy got really sick and ill and it was really scary to watch him get sick and ill and I didn't want really want to be around him or whether she has regret again we're not quite sure how old she was um, but it sounds like she was fairly young uh, when the passing happened So I want to explore that entire story. I want to understand what, wounds are still there from it, what grief, what witnessing hasn't happened, and see if there's anything that ties into what is playing out present day. Because we can't just bulldoze our way to trusting, right? We can't just bulldoze our way to feeling I'm worthy in this relationship with you. And so I'm going to just tell you how I feel no matter what. My guess is that there is both a worthiness wound and a trust wound that's playing out in this. Mixed with her current partner around being able to share freely and openly and confidently how affected she actually was, um, and then both trusting him, but also to being able to trust herself in making a decision whether to stay or whether to leave, because it sounds like they did try to have some conversations, but they never have met. They've never been what she's needed them to be
0: you did as you always do a really magnificent job of of making that connection and they're hypothesized connections but what you're what you what you really want to do is is invite her to take a look at how the early loss like the exact texture and tone of the grief story from way back then and how that shapes and informs how she's moving through this so the only things that i would add would be it doesn't surprise me and doesn't surprise you that this is feeling more urgent now as they're considering buying a home together, right? So it's like at this like precipice of whatever it is, more, tr- more trust between them, more commitment between them, a desire to be more of a priority in his world, a desire to have him be more of a priority in her world, that as they face that transition, the question around trust and the incompleteness of the repair that they tried a few years ago when this breach happened, is not it's not sticking. It's not enough. The other thing I wanted to highlight is that their story, the story of her relationship with this man, is that they began as an affair. Right, he was involved in a relationship, and she was the affair partner. I hear that it was not a good relationship. It was a relationship, perhaps it was ending but she has now both the experience of having watched him be deceitful with someone in order to be with her and having the experience of catching him being deceitful again to her. And so there's that whole piece in the forgiveness work perhaps of herself. She now because it's been two times, it's a it's a pattern to some degree, right? Even if it's only these two times, she has had a front row seat, though so she's been in a different spot. She's watched him be out of his integrity twice. And so what does that, where is she vis-a-vis herself? It might be some like accountability and forgiveness work for her to do there with herself. And then everything that you said about her origin story, of course we want to know about his because his pattern of being out of his integrity is very likely a symptom and there might be a very low ceiling on his apology to her because he looks at this as just a one-off or a lousy behavior, rather than as a symptom of something that is unhealed and untended to within him.
1: Yeah. Beautifully said. Such great points. And I think the first one around, I think she says, I'm experiencing shame. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And so that's, that's a great point that you're making. Right. And so our assumption would be maybe that shame is coming from, I knew he could do this right now. And I chose that anyway, or I, I, I got involved in that and now it's happened to me and I feel so ashamed of myself for, you know, getting involved in this in the first place or something along those lines. Right. So absolutely the, the tending to, and yeah, as everything that we do in our exploration around our family of origin for ourselves, we must get that curious about that with our partners as well. So beautifully stated, right. That again, it's not an excuse for his behavior as we've been saying all along today, but that there is context here. And if, he can be with the context, right? Like if he can start to connect to his own story and see, oh, shoot, right? Like, I see how this behavior is coming out because of X, Y, and Z, right? Then this couple has a much greater chance, right, of being able to move through this rupture, right, with us not needing to judge what's happened here, right, versus if I cannot, if neither one can connect to, oh, there's context here, there's a big story here that we need to know about, then we're going to have a much harder time moving through this rupture, right? Right
0: that is exactly it, is that what she likely wants and needs more than just a better apology is his commitment to taking ownership of himself, right? That that's, that there's, there's this urge of like, if he, maybe if he just says the apology the right way, or if there's more of an apology, but what we really, really want is for him to have this be his awakening to himself and for him to be, that like gentle blend of accountable and graceful with himself. And that that's Mm going to be what keeps her safer in the long term, more than any words that he ever says to her. It's about can she watch him, you know, reading Connor Beaton's book and listening (laughs) to like doing like some really good high quality men's work or just, you know, reading your book, like just all of that is going to be a much deeper, richer repair journey that protects the two of them in the longer term than just him being able to sit for 10 extra minutes making an apology.
1: That's it. Right. And what a great case for my book. Thank you for choosing this example because <laughs> it's like, you know, a quote unquote better apology. Ah, it only goes so far if it's not informed by something different. Yes. In fact, he's probably given the best apology that he can, he can do mm-hmm. right that he mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so it, there's a limit to it. What expands that limit right? What expands that line is beginning to understand the origin stories, the things that are unresolved about the past. They can't resolve this moment without having a much larger conversation and a much larger reflection of their stories.
0: Okay. My dear in Amsterdam, thank you so much for sending us this question because This is your unique story, but it is one that I know is going to have resonance for lots and lots of listeners. And I hope listener in Amsterdam that you have heard Vienna and my words with just the utmost of care that they, we are, you know, just here cheering, cheering for you. However this goes, because it is not easy, but it is just so freaking real. It's just so real. Okay. I am going to wrap this up. So, Vienna, thank you so much for being here. Tell us where people should go to learn more about you. Of course, there will be links galore in the show notes about how to get the origins of you, which is available everywhere that books are sold.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's available everywhere. It's uh, so exciting. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at mindful MFT, as in marriage, family therapy, Um, dot com uh, newyorkcouplescounseling.com, but all of the links for all of the things you can always find in my bio in Instagram. So, yeah. And then you can always just very easily Google the origins of you, Vienna Farron, and that'll show up. Thank you,
0: Vienna, for returning to reimagining love and for writing this essential and empowering book. I really encourage you to check out The Origins of You, which is linked in the show notes, because this is the work that you deserve to do for yourself and for those you love. You can also find Vienna's quiz about origin wounds that we mentioned in the show notes if you're interested in checking that out as well. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want answered on the show? Visit reimagininglove.com to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. If you're looking for more love and relationship content, you can find me on Instagram at Dr.Alexandra.Solomon or visit my website, DrAlexandraSolomon.com, where you'll find my blog as well as the Intimate Relationships 101 e-course based off of the popular class I teach at Northwestern University. Thank you for listening and see you next week here on Reimagining Love.